I'm really proud to have this role. I don't think coming from probably my family background, you'd have necessarily written future chief executive mm. of RICS on that. So no, I'm very proud of that. I was very proud to be one of the youngest directors of Prudential. That was a, a really, that was quite a unique moment. And, and given, being given that opportunity to be on that board was a really, wow, that sort of like a real, you've made it encouraging, mm. encouraging uh, moment. So no, I probably never even dreamed of any of those things. I think I literally did what I did, went into work like a lot of people, but I was always a hard worker. I was someone who was never really shy of work, um, pushing myself. And I think if you keep pushing forward and you build networks and you keep having all the right conversations, it's amazing how opportunities do open up. Hello and welcome to the Women of the Future podcast, a podcast made in collaboration with the Women of the Future programme, a platform built to unlock a culture of kindness and collaboration among leaders, as well as support and celebrate the successes of women. I'm Kim Rowell and I won the media category at their awards in 2018, in recognition of my continued work as a commissioner, producer and children's author, particularly within the mental health remit. I'll be talking to my guests on this podcast about their careers, who or what gave them their first big break, their successes, failures and inspirations along the way, and how they came to be a part of the Women of the Future Network. Sean Tompkins is Global CEO of the Royal Institute of Chartered Surveyors and previously Director of Financial Services Company Prudential. As part of his role at RICS, he's been awarded honorary doctorates by Harriet Watt and Amity University, accompanied UK Prime Ministers on trade missions, and addressed political leaders at the United Nations on furthering sustainable development goals. When it comes to the women of the future, a chance meeting with founder Pinky Lilani at his daughter's school saw Sean being instrumental in the addition of the new real estate infrastructure and construction category to their awards in 2014. In 2018, Sean was named on the 50 Leading Lights list, a campaign showcasing leaders building a new status quo and impacting others through kindness. He was also recognised in this year's Agents of Change list of male UK business leaders who have excelled in promoting the role of women in the workplace. Handpicked by diversity trailblazers from across British culture, business and social advocacy organisations, Sean has been recognised for his leadership in both championing women at RICS and advocacy for greater female representation in the chartered surveying profession around the world. It therefore seemed perfectly fitting that he should be the first man interviewed on this podcast. I was born in Kent. Uh, my father was uh, an engineer. My mum actually worked uh, in the music industry. She used to help make electronic organs for uh, some of the famous uh, pop groups of the time. As in like a piano? Yeah, yeah, and um, speakers. So she was in that sort of... Uh, both piano uh, in terms of keyboards, but also uh, speakers. So yeah, no, uh, a small family. Brothers and, and sisters? No brothers or sisters, so only child, so a very small family. But yeah, my parents were always very, very supportive of me and encouraging. I was also very, very lucky that at school I had a very inspirational English teacher. Right. Who um, I think recognised bits of talent 
and, and pluck them out every so often and push them in good directions. And uh, he encouraged me to go into this place called The City. And that's what I did. And my career just took off from there. But uh, yeah, it's amazing. You meet one or two people in your life and they yeah. can have quite an impact. So were you good at school? Not really. No, I've got to be, <laughs> I gotta be, I gotta be, no, I gotta be absolutely honest. I think um, I wasn't really someone who loved sitting in a room for hours on end. I got through everything. I was probably capable of much better results than I ended up with. But it's an interesting thing. I think I progressed academically older in life. Right. It was a, it's an interesting thing. I, I did all my professional qualifications later in life and so on. So I think probably I was a slightly late developer. But yeah, no, I got through. So you didn't go to, did you go to university? No, I, I went to college and did uh, effectively my A-levels. And I did a business studies course specialising in law, finance and economics. And then I went into the city and worked for an insurance company called Prudential. Okay, yep. So that was my beginning into the workplace. And, and again, met some great people in that particular world. And my career sort of developed from there. I think uh, sometimes you you find yourself at a fortunate moment where industries are going through quite a lot of change. Mm. I was a, you know, quite a young, energetic uh, individual and they were developing their first ever marketing function and Yay. suddenly I find myself <laughs> in this thing called marketing. And I progressed and developed my career from there. So yeah, I had a really great period of time in financial services. I worked for a number of insurance companies. I had the opportunity to launch some incredible products. At one point, I looked after a large part of our sales team, and eventually I had a role sitting on the board of Prudential's life and pensions business. So it was a fascinating period. So you, as you were alluding to, was it was it mainly vocational, your training or your qualifications? I mean, yeah. obviously, you said you did yeah, your A-levels. No, I did A-levels, but then, yes, then I studied, um, I took all the insurance exams. So I, I spent quite a long time trying to study some of the actuarial papers, which uh, weren't necessarily easy as one to <laughs> overcome, but managed to get through those. But, yeah, no, I studied the insurance exams, and then, you know, I found myself in really the first beginnings of marketing in financial services. It didn't really exist. Sales was probably the only function, but marketing was really picking off. I mean, we're talking here sort of the late 80s, early 90s, and, and I was probably one of the first people in what was marketing within financial services. Yeah. I took on my marketing vocational qualifications and sort of followed the path there and ended up being marketing director of uh, one of the largest financial services companies in the UK, which was amazing. You know, we were finding ourselves winning awards for advertising. I think we had, we held the number one market share for, for many, many years. So it was, a, yeah, a real rise. Do you think there's a knack to being a good salesperson or a good marketeer or do you think there's an actual kind of skill? There must be because some people are great at it yeah, and no, some people not so. I think there's a couple of things. I think um, one of the things that I, I really noticed in myself is I had an absolute passion and desire to really understand the needs of people. And whilst at the time I couldn't have even recognised that as being something called marketing, mm. actually it was within me to really, I was quite intrigued, you know, I'd be willing to explore things perhaps mm. more and I really wanted to understand, you know, what it was that people really needed and wanted and, and I think, you know, if you think about the core of a marketing skill, it's really can you understand and interpret needs and 
deliver something better than anybody else. And I, but I had that sort of intent and desire. So I think understanding, really wanting to take an understanding, and, and perhaps at a very early point, using data and intelligence a lot more than other people were, were, insight, were using and yeah. insight. But that was an area that I think intuitively I sort of just became part of. And I think the other bit is as well is that I think you've got to be a pretty good communicator mm. you know, on virtually every medium you can pick up. And I was pretty lucky that communication was something that sort of fell a bit naturally to me. So I think probably communication, uh, ability to put forward ideas, but with a, a really intrigue about understanding what makes people tick. I'm interested from my own point of view more than anything. I have a young family and, you know, sales and marketing, particularly nowadays, is always associated with long hours, very antisocial. Did you find that? And I mean, you have a family yourself, don't mm. you? How did mm. you... Because you're the first man we've had on this podcast, so it'd be good to well, hear... I know, it's yeah, like well, a lady. A real honour, thank you. <laughs> but it would be good to hear your perspective on how you balance that and yeah. also if you felt you were sacrificing anything as a consequence. Yeah, I do. It's funny, I look back now, you know, I look back now on my career. My daughters are 24 and 22. Mm. And there is no doubt that in the early years... I was working long hours and I was travelling and there's no doubt that there you know when you look back there was a level of sacrifice that you made I think I've always tried even in the role here as chief exec of a you know one of the largest professional bodies in the world I travel a lot I'm probably away about 100 nights a year you that's know that's a lot, quite a yeah. lot but I really focus on making sure all of those really special moments and moments of truth mm. are as best that I can possibly make them. Yeah. You know, and yeah, there is a balance and there is a sacrifice. And even back in the, the sort of 80s and 90s, I mean, you know, you, you were working extremely long hours. There is a benefit, I think, now, and even I find this in this role I do here and something I think most chief execs have really tried to put in place, which is an ability for people to work differently to achieve those outcomes. So very often, you know, I will work from home and I want others to know that actually you can work flexibly and therefore you can deliver your day in a very different way. Mm. You know, it might give the odd opportunity to get up and have breakfast with the family mm. and then cracking into work, maybe then stop and have lunch with, the, you know, with my wife and then spend some time again in the evening. So I think... The advent of a more acceptable way of working with technology now supporting that, I think probably has balanced it a bit more. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think it's important to set boundaries and limitations within your work or is that just too inflexible? I found that perhaps a younger, when I was younger, you never really thought much about that. You know, you just (laughs) cracked on. (laughs) So I can remember one evening sort of, driving home at about seven and then having something to eat with my wife and then driving back into work, you know, finishing off at like two o'clock in the morning. So we had a big campaign that we were delivering. And I look back now and think, wow, you know, mm. some crazy times that we're working in. But I think that as, as you realise that that's not really a sustainable yeah. pattern yeah, of yeah. life and, you know, I think it is important to set some boundaries. And I, look, I think most organisations 
recognise that that's a really important thing for people to be doing. The whole idea of having holidays and flexibility is about making sure that people look after themselves. You know, that the well-being is a really critical component. But I think you need to be thinking of those boundaries as well yourself. I actually think it's probably easier at this point in uh, the sort of maturity of businesses and cultures and everything than it perhaps even was in the 80s and 90s because there is a greater acceptance of flexibility. I mean, the concept of flexibility didn't exist mm. when I started work. I mean, it was, presenteeism was everything. Now, I think, you know, people are measured on outcomes rather than inputs. Mm. And I, I think that's a really great way of you being able to manage things within more sensible boundaries. You can be present, doesn't mean you're being productive, right? Correct, correct. And, and I can promise you, back then, <laughs> that was absolutely the case for a large yeah. number of people. Yeah. However, I think that, you know, the employment world and, and the culture of businesses has really moved on. And I think that I like to think particularly here, but, but I see it in many, many conversations I have with other CEOs, that there really is a desire to do the right things by the people who work in the organisations and create the capacity for people to be able to get to outcomes in multiple different ways. Is there a particular moment or a person that you would say gave you your big break into what you're doing now or set you on this trajectory? I think, I think probably two or three moments. I think, you know, when we were chatting right at the beginning, I think uh, an English teacher at school sort of... Uh, realising that I might have some talent for some things and saying, mm. look, you know, I really think you should go into the city. I think you'd be really good in a bank or an insurance company. And if I'm really honest, I probably wasn't even, that wasn't even part of my thinking set How at the time. So I'd have been probably 17. I was already on a trajectory to do the business and, and finance mm. and law. But that moment was a look, once you've done all of this, you might want to think about that. You know, these organisations are really good at taking people in, putting them through a sort of graduate apprentice programme. And actually, you know, I think you could have a really good career in communications of some sort. So, yeah, I think that was a a very helpful spot because I think if that hadn't have happened, I probably would have ended up going into engineering because that would have been what my father would have encouraged. Did you... I mean, a lot of these conversations that I've had, people have always mentioned, or most of the time have mentioned, a teacher. Do you think it's when you're that age and you're kind of impressionable a little bit more and someone shows an interest in your own intelligence or they actually try and consolidate your own thoughts for you and it gives you like a spark of yeah. like, oh yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, is that I think, what that kind of thing's happening? I think it is. I think you really want at that age, you know, people just may be opening horizons. Mm. You know, you don't, you don't know what you don't know at that point. I think you need people around you and I think you need people around you throughout your, the whole of your career who are prepared to challenge you a little bit and just say, well, have you thought about this? Mm. Or have you thought about that? You know, and it's all about broadening your your horizon and, and possibilities. You know, you don't... Because you do get tunnel yeah. vision. No, you do. You, you do. You, you get very stuck. You and can, you just yeah. roll on from one yeah. thing to the next yeah. and you need that kind of outside influence. Absolutely. And I, and I encourage anybody to create networks, have multiple coaches, have regular conversations <laughs> that just keep opening up possibilities. So I think it was a teacher. And then I was very lucky in financial services. I was working with somebody who I'd never really done 
any huge presentations. It wasn't something that I had done and you know, I wasn't even sure I was particularly comfortable about it. And I found myself at the Money Show in Edinburgh and my colleague, who was a really good presenter and very funny and really engaged an audience. And I thought, he said, look, don't worry, come along with me and you can do a bit. And also when it comes to the difficult questions, if you don't know any, kick me under the table. And I thought that felt me really assured. This is great. So about 2,000 people in the audience, we'd done this presentation and then we're at the question point and this really difficult question came up. So I kicked him and he kicked me. kicked me back and and, and, and and suddenly at that point you know I realized and discovered the ability for resilience and everything else but I'd say that was a really interesting yeah. moment because actually it pushed me he knew I could do all of yes, this but you just out. needed someone just to push literally, it literally yeah, just to really give you a kick, kick. and he yeah. did and, and, and I have to say I can remember that moment throughout most of my career and I think that was a, a, a really important moment so I think there are people who you meet who do things that are incredibly kind to your own career but you just you know at the time you might not realize it but when you look back actually surrounding yourself with people who will give you the odd kick open up your opportunities and just make you think broader are absolutely essential because otherwise we do get very focused on what we do we believe that the tunnel is pretty closed and it goes in one direction the reality is it's nothing like that i think we limit ourselves you know there are plenty of possibilities for everyone so little sean tompkins growing up in kent did he ever dream that one day he would be the CEO of the Royal Institute of not, Chartered not, Surveyors? Not by, any, <laughs> not by any imagination at all. Is there anything you're particularly proud of? I, I you know, I'm I'm really proud to have this role. I mean, I, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't think coming from probably my family background, you would have necessarily written future chief executive mm. of RICS on that. So no, I'm very proud of that. I was very proud to be one of the youngest directors of Prudential. That was a a really, that was quite a unique moment. And and given, being given that opportunity to be on that board was a really, wow, that sort of like a real, you've made it encouraging, encouraging uh, moment. So no, I, I probably never even dreamed of any of those things. I think I literally did what I did, went into work like a lot of people, but I was always a hard worker. I was someone who was never really shy of work, um, pushing myself. And I think if you keep pushing forward and you build networks and you keep having all the right conversations, it's amazing how opportunities do open up. You know, this opportunity here came on the back of something which I just found pretty incredible. I, I always thought I would want to be the marketing director of a very famous bank. A very famous, big, huge global bank. And I actually managed to get myself into the last three interview for this particular role. And I was really excited and I'd gone along for the interview. And I'd I'd been thinking about, yeah, actually, that could be a pinnacle of something, you know, amazing amazing thing. And I'd visualised it for a number of years. And I got to the interview and I went through the interview and I came out and I sat in the taxi and the taxi driver said to me, he said, you all right? You all right? I'll never forget that. You all right? Yeah, I'm all right. Yeah. He said, what's wrong? I said, do you know what? He said, it's a really weird thing. I've just been for an interview for a job that I've always thought I wanted. Actually, I don't want it. I realised that actually I've been 
in a certain environment and in a certain sector and in industry for, for a period of time and I progressed really, really well. And actually, even though I thought I wanted it, it's not what I wanted. And it was a really interesting moment because it was like, wow, suddenly all the things that I you thought I wanted, wanted, actually I don't want it at all. I want something different. I want to do something really different. But you uh, needed that. Again, maybe you need that yeah, kick under the I table. Think you did. Quite a weird kick under the table. It was like, wow, do I really want that? And actually, when you come down to it, you have to really question it. I, I, I was like, wow, a moment of complete career flux. You know, mm. wow, what do you do now? And then, if by chance, I had a headhunt phone call to say, yeah, we just want to put this to you, this opportunity. There's this organisation called RICS, it's British based organisation, been going since 1868, it's pretty much in the UK, but wants to explain globally, mm-hmm. uh, and needs someone with a real sort of strategic marketing background to really help the organisation think through its, uh, an ambitious strategy. And at the time I thought, wow, I'm not even entirely sure I'd heard of the RHS, <laughs> I looked it all up, and, yeah. and, and, and I came along, and I, and I came in, and I think there was a, I saw a knitting receptionist, and a and the place being sort of like painted about, and I thought, wow, this place wants to, you know, this is... <laughs> but actually, do you know what? I got really inspired by, actually, you imagine, I've come from an organisation that probably had, I don't know, a marketing budget of £50 million a year into an organisation with a marketing budget of 50000 Could you really... Now that's a challenge. What can you really do? Yeah. And actually, do you know what? It was just the... I needed something really different and challenging. And... For me, it became a, I think there are absolutely ways, given what this organisation stands for, what it has, the quality of its sort of DNA and its values, there is a lot that we can do with that. And we went on the path of reshaping the organisation and its position. I'm very proud. You know, we have offices in 30 countries of the world now. We run universities in India. Uh, We run training programmes in China. It's a very different place than the place that I joined. And I feel very proud about that. But it was born out of a very interesting point in my career. Yeah. That's quite something. How did you first hear about the Women of the Future Network? And what inspired you to get involved? What, when did Pinky Lalani first refuse to take a no from you? <laughs> it was a, I suppose it was a, a sort of um, a coincidence of things. I had become concerned a few years ago that given the changes that were taking place in the wider world, just to sort of put that into context, you know, I mean, we, we've never seen population growth so rapid cities are under huge pressure to cope the volume of people living in cities you projected up to 2050 is just unbelievable and that it really required really new thinking and, and i think new talents into the wider built environment and i'd realized that for a number of years this profession had broadly been male for many many years well, like about 13 percent of the really? profession were female and if you think about it the built, envir- built and natural environment is something that everyone uses. Yeah. So why suddenly, why was it that... Why do you think that was? I think it's a lack of role models. I think a lack of visible role models. It comes back to the conversation yeah. we had a bit about schools. You can't I be suspect, what you can't see. I suspect if you didn't mm. see it, someone yeah. said, well, you know, child's away. I don't think, that, yeah, you, know, yeah. you know, you're not a boy. Um, so I think that that, and I think that probably a large number of people who found themselves in the profession had at the time 
family connections who were in that profession and therefore the, fr- the families would have yeah, encouraged yeah. it in some in yeah. some way yeah it was a real real challenge so I, I was conscious of the fact that actually if you if you really want to move any organization on you know, or any profession on you need cognitive diversity you know you really need different solutions and equally if you look at the construction industry I think its productivity over the last 20 years has hardly improved in comparison to say manufacturing so there are lots of things that say actually new talent different ways of thinking really really important but for a profession like ours 13% was completely outrageous so this was an issue that was in my background and then completely out of chance and I'm I, I don't know maybe it's not maybe all these things are fate and they're all but it felt like chance I was at my daughter's school there was a presentation being done by a lady called Pinky Lalani who was doing a, a presentation on on leadership and females and some of the things that hold females back and she was cooking Bombay potatoes in a school in Hertfordshire with it pouring hard the rain outside. Mm. And I went up to her afterwards and said, actually, I found it a fantastic presentation. I'd really like to try the Bombay potato, but I'd like to buy one of your spice boxes. And I can't remember, I think they were about 20 pound at the time or 15 pound. And, and I went to get out my wallet and I had no, I'd left all my cards and cash uh, in, my, in my jacket. So, uh, but Pinky immediately turned around to me, she said, look, it's not a problem. She said, I completely trust you. She said, take one home, here's my card. When you get round to it, send me a check. And I remember coming home, not only saying to my daughters, she's one of the most inspirational presenters I'd seen, mm. but I don't think I've ever quite had an act like that. Just such an impromptu, I trust you. It I mean, you in your, in your yeah, it did like, yeah. we only yeah. known each other for a second, yeah. um, but I thought it was quite amazing. So almost like immediately the next day I wrote the check out and sent it off and sent my business card and said, look, you know, if there's anything we could ever do together, you know, let me know. And she rang me up the day after and said, well, by the way, I run this thing called the Women of the Future Awards. Maybe we could talk about it. And she came in and I explained the challenge we had. And she said, look, what she's seen is that visible role models make a massive difference and I said look if we could find a way of for real estate infrastructure and construction being part of this and showing that this sector really is open to all and also some of the role models we did have the challenge that I think we had as an industry is every time there was a conference it was all the same men at speaking at the conference all the same men on the panel yeah, no you diversity. know but it was almost like the conference organizers had a very small black book and that was it <laughs> so how could I change that so mm-hmm. we sponsored the awards and you know we've been doing that it must be over six years now. Did they introduce the category for you? Yeah. yeah. I said to Pinky, look, we really need a specific category here yeah. because it's a real problem. And we've got to work to highlight the talent that's already there, mm. but just not really visible. So we've been six odd years, we've built a network. So everybody who becomes nominated, we also work with them as a network. So we help develop them. So we provide some PR training, conference speaking training, because they're visible agents of this profession and industry as well, and and really important. So, 
All of those people do a lot for us on social media. Many of them speak at events, conferences. We've challenged all the conference companies to say, here's a whole list of people who could go on panels and here's a whole, you know, yeah. speak. And at the same time, I made a pledge that I wouldn't, as the chief executive of this organisation, speak on any panel that was just white male. And that had quite a bit of change as well, because a lot you. of other leaders yeah, did said, actually, we, we're going to do the same. And suddenly it, it just forced people to reach out beyond... Make them think yeah. as well, to check themselves as to why it is that way in the first place. And I think that, so combination of, I think, some leadership actions, industry firms within this sector recognising a need for a wider talent and the women in the future was we built up an incredible network of people mm. and they are all wonderful role models all of them progressing at different points within their careers organizations but have become just an amazing force for yeah it, it's for possible good. to be here mm. force for good but it's, it, but it also a force for just don't hold back you know this is an industry that yeah. hey, don't don't just look at construction and think mal it's not true we have amazing roles within the industry real estate there's plenty of roles here that really exist that could suit everyone just think beyond that and challenge what's happening and they've done that that i think has been amazing i'd give you we just closed our financial year and i think that 26 percent of our trainees are now female which is a big so you've doubled it yeah it takes a while to qualify in this profession Mm. But nearly 30% of our entrants being female is pretty impressive. I mean, we've still got a long way to go. Uh, we've still got an even greater diversity challenge with BAIM uh, mm. and so on. So you know, we're working very, very hard in those areas. But I think our ability to find and inspire role models, I think, has been a step change in this profession been a, an amazing journey with Pinky, one that we continue <laughs> to be on. And I think the more and more role models that we can continue to show, expose, highlight to others, inspire, then I just think it will build and build and build. Are you ready for some quick fire questions? I am, yes. Just to finish off, what would you describe as your greatest success? I think taking this organisation from a 140-year-old British professional body to being a true global brand. And your greatest failure? Um, I have many, uh, which I think is, a, you know, there are many things you learn. I think many of the failures come down with perhaps being over-optimistic at times. I've learned that actually you need a lot of different voices around your table. So if I look at the things that have been failures, they are things that tended to be where we were slightly more optimistic than we perhaps should have done and we needed to listen to a much wider voice pool so i've corrected as much as that as i can the mantra of the women of the future is kindness and collaboration what does that mean to you in both your personal and professional life i think for me kindness extends to me which is trying to give opportunities to people and being one of those people who is prepared to also give a bit of a kick but also open up. So I think I've taken some of those things that have (laughs) sort of happened to me and I've done that at multiple levels for people with all different challenges in life. But I think kindness and collaboration in business, I think that businesses are having to rediscover that they're all about people. And that might seem really strange, but I actually think 
business lost some of that focus. And I think the organisations that are kind, and I think kind not from a, a soft point of view of you can get away with anything you like, but genuinely kind and caring and providing the right culture where people can achieve their outcomes by being themselves in the workplace and working with their own barriers within their sort of own frameworks. I think is critical to the future of business. I think business is undergoing a transformation of new culture mm. because trying to attract talent, ensuring that you've got people in your organisation who you could absolutely trust to spot opportunities of help you avoid making risk, I think comes from an organisation where people feel that the culture is kind, collaborative and that you can trust it. Is there anything that scares you? I think, um, do you know what? I'm not someone who gets massively scared. I think, you know, I always have, like anybody else, I have the odd sleepless night about things or worries and so on. Um, How are you with spiders? I'm pretty good with spiders. Yeah, yeah I'm pretty good with spiders. I may not um, love absolutely huge snakes. I think uh, <laughs> my wife has a com- my wife has a complete phobia with snakes. Mm. I've I've never had a phobia with snakes, but since she's told me she's had a phobia no, with snakes, thing, very large guessing, snakes yeah, yeah. aren't something <laughs> that I'm particularly. It, it's interesting. It's it's a job that I. I have where I fly all around the world. I have to be honest, flying is not my favourite thing. Yeah, there's a moment I do it. when you take off and the engines <laughs> yeah. change. You, you've got it. Every single time I'm like, we're going down. Yeah. Yeah. We're going. So it's quite strange. So yeah. for someone who flies all over the, the world, I have become very used to it and very capable of mm. sleeping on planes. Okay. But flying is not exactly the thing that I get the most no, enjoyment it's not from. Fun. It's really not fun. <laughs> Particularly those first 30 minutes. Right, it, yes, it is that part. When isn't I'm it? in the air, I'm okay. How are you with travelling on your own? Because I always feel a little bit, not selfish, just like, oh, I'm not, well, my family are down there. You know, I'm up here. Do you ever think about that? Yeah, that you, I think you do. Yeah. I think, I think in, in a funny way, because you know, a lot of the flights I do are sort of 10, 12 hour, they give you quite a lot of opportunity to think. think Sometimes the thinking isn't good thinking, you overthink. (laughs) Yeah, I think it makes you worry a lot more. You think a lot more about family. Mm. I think all of those things that are really important to you, funny enough, come into very stark focus on a flight. There's probably a psychological reason why, but I think you do feel those things. And I think the other thing as well is, is it's probably the sense of, I'm really leaving my family behind. I think that's it, isn't it? You know, I'm really leaving them behind physically. here, physically. Yeah. It's not like, you know, I can just sort of drive back or I'm physically leaving them. Mm-hmm. And that's that disconnect. Yeah. And then I think you realise how important that family is to you. And I think it just makes you think about things. It's probably a good thing. Probably everyone should go on 10-hour flights, (laughs) realise how important family is. Exactly. What's left on your to-do list? Oh, plenty. I mean, there's a lot that we need to do here as an organisation. We've got, like everybody else, huge challenges with technology, completely changing our digital footprint as as an organisation. The opportunities in the built environment, they're enormous, and we want to take advantage of those. For me personally, I think you look forward into the future and you start to say, do you know what, actually for me the more 
people that I can inspire and encourage into this industry and profession, the greater its cognitive ability to deal with the real challenges that people are going to face. If we don't find an answer to how you can deal with rapid population growth and urbanisation, we're going to have some huge challenges that we're going to leave for future generations. So I think that the more I can inspire and encourage good thinkers to help solve that, and we've still got a way to go in solving some of the really big issues for future generations but yeah i'd like to make sure we do solve those because you know i don't think any probably probably envisaged a population approaching 10 billion with two-thirds of those living in cities if you think back 1930 population was three billion a third lived in cities it's just amazing and that's why this industry and this profession needs people to really think through some of the greatest challenges actually i think which are facing people. I really enjoyed speaking to you, Sean. Thank, Thank you. you I did. It's the, wonderful. The first man on I, this I'm, podcast. I've got to be honest, I'm absolutely honoured. My daughters will be very honoured as well. Brilliant. Thank, <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Women of the Future podcast. If you enjoyed it, please hit the subscribe button. And while you're there, why not give us a rating and review? You know you want to. For more about the Women of the Future Awards, network and initiative, please visit www.womenofthefuture.co.uk. See you soon.